Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our first episode, we kicked off the new season with an examination of the December 3, 2020 pretrial hearing in which the state made their case that they had sufficient probable cause to bring Kyle Rittenhouse to trial. On today's episode, we'll examine the February 11, 2021 pretrial hearing where Kenosha, Wisconsin Circuit Court Judge Bruce Schroeder decides whether Kyle Rittenhouse's behavior while out on bail violates the terms of that bail, and if so, whether his bail should be raised. That's all coming up right after the break. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Upon his arrest and extradition to Kenosha, Kyle Rittenhouse's bail was set at $2 million, and he soon became a favored cause of a number of conservative lawyers, commentators, and politicians. By November 21, 2020, Rittenhouse and his allies had raised enough money to post that bail bond. On January 5, 2021, Rittenhouse pleaded not guilty to felony homicide charges and other crimes in connection to killing two protesters and injuring one other person. That same day, Rittenhouse and his mother were spotted in a bar in a community near Kenosha. The reports of his actions in that bar seem to have prompted the prosecution to file a motion to increase Rittenhouse's bond. According to that motion, Rittenhouse was in the bar for approximately 90 minutes, drinking while wearing a t-shirt with the words free as fuck, and also flashing the OK sign, a gesture that has been co-opted by known white supremacist groups. He was also allegedly serenaded by a group of adult men who sang the Proud Boys anthem, according to the motion. While the prosecution included all of these details in their motion filing, prosecutors did not allege that there was anything in this conduct that violated the terms of Rittenhouse's bail. Instead, Thomas Binger based his motion on the failure of Kyle Rittenhouse to update his address with the state of Wisconsin. The motion hearing takes place by video conference on February 11, 2021. Judge Schroeder offers Binger the opportunity to expand on the prosecution's written briefings. So, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Zaff, uh, uh, I did review all the written materials were submitted. So if you want to add something to what you've already supplied, go ahead. Thank you, Your Honor. The state had filed a motion to increase the defendant's bond by $200,000 and asked the court to issue an arrest warrant for the defendant uh, because he's violated 969.10, which requires him to update his address with the court within 48 hours of any change of address. I want to stress, uh, as the court is aware, I think everybody's aware, this is a very unusual situation to have someone facing these types of charges who has been released from custody. 
Typically, in a case like this, the courts set a substantial cash bond upwards of a million dollars or more. In this case, it's $2 million. That's obviously a large amount of money for anyone to post. In this case, Mr. Rittenhouse was fortunate that his case drew the attention of people around the country who donated money to a foundation that was uh, run by attorney. Let me, let me interrupt. Let me interrupt you, for, if I might, for a moment. Judge Schroeder interrupts Prosecutor Binger in the first of several tense exchanges. While Binger remains calm and respectful throughout these discussions, Judge Schroeder establishes a dynamic in engaging Binger that is palpably more adversarial than Commissioner Keating's even-handed approach during the probable cause hearing. Uh, I did actually watch the uh, video of the initial appearance. You already knew this at that time, and in fact, you brought it to Judge Keating's attention uh, that uh, the defendant, uh, that you did not believe the defendant was living at the Illinois address and uh, that was living in a, that he was living in a safe house. And, and so I guess my starting issue is uh, if this has already been presented and, and argued before Judge Keating, what triggered the, the motion now? What specifically triggered it is the return uh, that the court received. Uh, when the court mailed notice to the defendant on December 22nd, indicating that there was an arraignment on this case on January 5th, uh, that was meant, sent to the Anita Terrace address in Antioch, which was the address on record for the defendant. It was returned to the court, to your honor, on January 28th of this year, indicating that there was no one uh, by that name at that address, and they were unable to forward it to uh, Mr. Rittenhouse. As I was saying, this is a very unusual situation to have someone uh, facing these charges who's out there free on bond. And what makes this even more uh, unique is that the defendant has no stake whatsoever in that bond. There's no financial incentive for him to comply with bond. He's posted none of the money that's been uh, the $2 million. In fact, there's some sort of dispute going on right now between attorney John Pierce, who posted the bond. I don't, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into that. Binger is referring to the fact that Rittenhouse recently fired one of his attorneys who began asserting a right to the money raised for Rittenhouse's bond. Clearly, Judge Schroeder does not find those assertions relevant to this hearing. My only point, Your Honor, is that from the defendant's perspective, uh, what incentive does he have to comply with the bond? What incentive does he have to ensure that the non-monetary conditions are met here? The defendant, I think, needs to be kept on a very short leash. We need to make sure that he's compliant with every single part of that bond, which is why I filed this motion. As Binger speaks, the father of Anthony Huber, one of the men killed by Rittenhouse, nods supportively. However, Schroeder pushes back vigorously on Binger's argument. Your statement was he wasn't living there and he was required to, and I don't think that's an accurate statement. And I, I think... Having an address for the receipt of court notices, uh, which may come in for a variety of reasons, change of date or whatever, having an address, and, and in fact, when we tell these people... When they give us an address, we say, and, and some people, for example, are homeless and, or they're staying with aunts uh, two nights here and three nights there. And re rather than locking them up, we say, here's the you have to give us an address and you're responsible for any mail that's sent there. And that's what I interpret uh, the necessity to give an address to mean. It, it does not equate with uh, placing a, a restriction on the place of abode, which is specifically uh, a feature in the statute that the court can order 
But I couldn't find any record that that was ordered by Judge Keating or that you requested it. I agree with what you're saying, Your Honor. And I think the distinction you're making between an address and a place of residence is an important distinction in the statutes. And I do understand that there may be a difference between those two things. Ultimately, Your Honor, I think this is a case where it would be important for the court to know exactly where the defendant is living. I want to make it clear to anyone who's watching this that the Anita Terrace address, which was on record for the defendant, is no longer his address. It is not associated with him. There is someone new and innocent who's residing there and should be free from any contact, mail, people bothering them, anything like that. You know, the defense is going to argue and has argued in their written submissions that they need to keep the defendant's whereabouts confidential because of fear for his safety. Now, someone new has moved into the defendant's former apartment, and that person is in jeopardy. That person is at risk from the things that the defendant is fearful of. And frankly, this is the latest in a long line of incidents where I think the defendant is essentially thumbing his nose at the court's requirements here. And it's very alarming when someone is facing these serious charges to go to a bar and drink, to wear a T-shirt with a profane message on it, to flash white supremacist signs, to move away from this address, put someone else at risk, and then refuse to disclose your whereabouts on a case like this. These are very troubling things. Now, I'm aware of the fact that under 969.035, the state could ask the court to revoke the defendant's bond. In fact, there was a protest last weekend, people in the community asking us to no, do no, that. No, 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 no. Judge Schroeder interrupts the prosecutor again, asserting the ground rules by which he expects all of the lawyers to abide in trying this case. No, 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 I don't want, no, no, I don't want to hear about protests. I don't want to deal with what media reports that are inaccurate. There were some very careless reports in the paper the other day uh, after I issued the, the restriction on associations. Uh, the media nationwide, I guess, portrayed it that I had pro- prohibited the defendant from associating with white supremacist groups. There's nothing in the order about that. It would certainly be encompassed within what I ordered, but it was not limited. But, My point and, is and, and the last, the, the last anything other than just strictly discussing what the facts and the evidence are occurs, the more likely we are to have a trial that's fair to the defendant, which is his constitutional guarantee, and to the public, which is my responsibility. Please, Ms. Motley, uh, and and uh, maybe Attorney Art, also on behalf of the victims, would like to give a a brief statement as well. Uh, you 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 know that I don't permit the use of the term victim before adjudication in this or any other case, and I haven't for years, so please don't use that term. And I know this is an awkward situation, but uh, I, I do not permit the terms victim or uh, alleged victim unless and until there's been an adjudication. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. The prohibition of the attorney's use of the word victim for the men killed and injured by Rittenhouse is the first of a number of controversial rulings by Judge Schroeder. We will analyze the implications and bases of Schroeder's ruling during our review episode at the end of the week. However, now we move on to Prosecutor Binger's first witness of the hearing, the father of one of the men killed by Kyle Rittenhouse. Hello, my name is John Huber, and I am Anthony yeah. Huber's father. Okay, and can, if, would, would you do me the favor if, if it's okay, if there's nobody else there? Uh, it's going to be a lot easier for the court reporter if you remove the mask. I'm going to remove mine anybody. if he removes his. Mr. Huber is referring to Kyle Rittenhouse and his mask. Well, from the beginning, from the moment he became a killer, he thought he was above the law. And he has no remorse for what he's done. And he is enjoying this media circus and the support from these hate groups and militia members that have posted his bond. Okay. It's not like his mom and dad put up the family house to get him out. He has nothing to lose if he runs. He has nothing to lose. Matter of fact, he's probably going to spend the rest of his life in prison if there's justice in that town of Kenosha. He should be remanded to custody. I don't know about what the, what the DA was supposed to file, but this kid, we don't know where he is. You don't know where he lives. Nobody in that court knows where he lives. If it's supposed to be a secret, if he's got all this back in, what is he afraid of? Got all these people supporting him. You know, why does he need to be in a safe house? His bond should be $4 million, like I said in the beginning. It should have been something that he can't just raise on his own. You know, and the people that did raise his money, I guess they're, they're not around anymore. But we lost a son. His mom and I lost our son. And how would you feel if the killer of your son is just able to walk free and make videos and bars and live it up. You know, whatever the statues are, they must be wrong because this guy can just go and do whatever he wants after he killed our son. Our son didn't get to spend Thanksgiving with us, but Rittenhouse did. He got to spend all kinds of time at the bar, live it up, making videos with his white supremacist friends, singing videos with a shirt that says free, free as F. You're not going to be free as F. Justice is going to be served to you. That's all I have. Next, the prosecution calls Gage Grosskreutz, the man shot and wounded by Kyle Rittenhouse. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Uh, my name is Gage Grosskreutz. Can you hear me all right? Um, I'd like to uh, keep this brief. Um, first off, I'd like to echo um, the concerns and grievances that the uh, DA has provided, as well as the clearly emotional issues um, that Mr. Huber has uh, just stated. Um, again, I would like to restate that it is in my opinion that Mr. Rittenhouse has shown a pattern 
of uh, lack of remorse during this um, during this bond time uh, before before trial. And uh, I would also recommend that they'll be raised to four million dollars. Thank you. Grosskreutz's attorney Kim Motley follows her client by making a statement. Your Honor, um, thank you. And I, I would like to have my remarks on behalf of all the victims that are present. I have been given yeah, permission I, I, of that. Schroeder is poised to respond. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, survivors. I'm sorry. You're this right. is a longstanding yeah. rule. I, I appreciate it, it, it doesn't apply just to this case. I never permit right. this, and it's been for years. Uh, usually, it's we talk about the complaining witness. I understand this is a little difficult, uh, but uh, the decedent or whatever. But I, I can't permit the use of the word victim or alleged victim because they're so lo- loaded with with. Uh, uh, things that can't be uh, assumed prior to uh, trial. So go ahead. Thank you, Your Honor. My apologies for that. Um, so I, I am speaking on behalf of the survivors, if that's a more acceptable term. Um, Mr. Huber has also given me permission to speak on his behalf, as well as obviously my clients, Mr. Gage Grosskreutz and the estate of Joseph Rosenbaum. We want to support uh, the state's motion, and we strongly believe that Mr. Rittenhouse's bail should also be substantially increased. We believe collectively as survivors that that increase should be at a minimum $4 million. We are very disturbed by his behavior in terms of what we believe is violations of his bail conditions. He should be giving his address. That is a basic requirement um, that I have seen as a criminal defense attorney and as an attorney for over 17 years of, of criminal defendants all around the world. And so why he feels that he doesn't have to give that address is beyond me when he signed his bail conditions on November 20th, when that was set. We'd also ask the court to add additional conditions to his bail, to his bond, uh, his bail requirements. We believe that electronic monitoring is appropriate. We believe that, I don't know if Mr. Rittenhouse has a passport, but if he does, that should be surrendered or he should not have the ability to get a passport. We believe that his movement should be confined from home to his attorney's house, office, excuse me, or court. Um, we're extremely disturbed like everyone else with the fact that Mr. Rittenhouse, as Mr. Huber has said, appears to be, um, I don't know, living it up. Um, I believe what was what he said, you know, going to bars, throwing up white domestic terrorists, white supremacist signs while, while wearing inappropriate attire, in my opinion, chugging down three beers within a 90 minute time period is not something that we believe that he should be doing as a person that's facing over 200 years in prison. So we'd ask the court to take everything that we're all collectively saying in consideration that being out on bail essentially is a privilege. And Mr. Rittenhouse has shown time and time again, that he does not care about his bail conditions. Thank you. Judge Schroeder next invites defense attorney Mark Richards to speak on behalf of Kyle Rittenhouse. When one looks at the bail, first off, the exchange between the court and Mr. Binger, if this court today were to say to my client, I want you to post an additional $200, he would voluntarily return himself to jail. He is not running. He has not hit Mr. Binger knew from the beginning he was not living at the address in Antioch. Mr. Sharafasi contacted him after to try to make arrangements 
to provide an address under seal. I find it ironic that Ms. Motley finds that so upsetting when her client, Mr. Grosswitz, has a sealed address in his Milwaukee County Court Circuit Court case. Your Honor, my client is not on trial. Look, I don't want to get into a Milwaukee case involving anybody. Thank you. Move on to something else, Mr. Richard. My client, when Mr. Binger talks about the Antioch address, Mr. Binger has said he wants proof of threats, clear, present, and tangible. Yet he's talking about this person in Antioch being somehow at risk. That makes no sense. It's intellectually dishonest. The notice went out to the Antioch address. It was returned. I note to the court, most important, that on January 5th for the arraignment, which was the notice, my client was in court through Zoom. He was in my office in a timely manner. He's made all of his court appearances. He knows the government is seeking to up his bond today. He's here. He's appearing via Zoom. That's how the court has reported. The fact that Mr. Binger uses the word unusual 15 to 20 times does not go into the bond statute. My client has filed under seal, and I'll fall on the sword. I should have been more diligent about getting that taken care of, but I didn't. My client does not possess a passport. There's a substantial bond posted by people who support Kyle Rittenhouse. That is true. It's going on in another Kenosha County court case also. My client will appear. He looks forward to litigating these offenses in your honor's courtroom. We have nothing to fear. The truth will set my client free. Thank you. Thomas Binger responds on behalf of the state of Wisconsin. Counsel wants to put me at the center of this as if my knowledge is what matters, but I don't run the court. I'm not the judge, and the statute doesn't require him to notify me. It requires him to notify the court. This is a court order. This is a statute that isn't complied with, and what I just heard from Attorney Richards is no defense, no argument that they complied with it. It's an acknowledgment that they didn't. They've just completely blown off this requirement. I'm simply asking that this defendant be treated the same as everyone else, whether it's an OAR or a disorderly conduct or a drunk driving or a sex assault or a murder. Every defendant is required to provide this information. The defense has acknowledged they didn't do so, so now it's up to the court. What consequence is there going to be for this? Are we just going to turn a blind eye at this and let this go by, or in this very, very serious case, are we going to hold the defendant to the same rules as everybody else and impose a consequence for us? And I believe that it's appropriate that the court impose the consequence that I've asked for, which is to increase the bond by $200,000. Kim Motley states on behalf of the men shot by Kyle Rittenhouse that there is a precedent for the prosecution's request to increase the bond amount. 30 days ago, the court, not this court, but there's another Kenosha County case involving also a double homicide where a male of color was given a $2.5 million bond, $2.5 million. And we ask that the court also take that in consideration since Mr. Richards found it necessary to bring up something that was not relevant to this proceeding. We think that this is relevant for the court to consider when setting the bond conditions and increasing the bail if the court so orders. Thank you. Judge Schroeder responds vigorously to Ms. Motley's assertion. Well, I will tell you that I am not going to decide anything in this case or any other on the basis of the color of anybody's skin, period. 
there was a decision made, you know, in I think it was 1896, Plessy versus Ferguson, where a decision was made on the basis of the color of someone's skin. A man who was, by the way, was one-eighth African-American descent, and it was a test case. And the Supreme Court of the United States, which has a spotted history on these issues, uh, I'll digress enough to talk about Roger Brooke Tawney. I disagree with your statement that bail is a privilege. Bail is a right in the in the Constitution, um, and uh, he's posted the bail that was set. Now he has he's in violation of a condition about updating his address. I'm sorry, and you're talking, actually, is this all to me? I'm talking just generally. Okay, got it. I'm talking to everybody. I'm talking to everybody. It is worth noting that Judge Schroeder seems to be tempted to address the notion that Kyle Rittenhouse is receiving preferential treatment based on his skin color, but then he appears to avoid confrontation on the subject. As with Judge Schroeder's ruling on the use of the word victim, we will be sure to revisit this area of tension in our weekly discussion episodes. But for now, we follow as Judge Schroeder moves forward with the hearing. So he is in violation for not updating his address. Uh, and that has to be addressed going forward. But he also, as Mr. Richards has pointed out, he appeared on the, the last hearing, which was the one, uh, which was the return notice. He was there at uh, Mr. Richards' office. So I'm assuming he came from wherever he was uh, to uh, Racine, Racine to attend that meeting. And uh, he's here today. So uh, I'm gonna deny the motions. Hearing's over, thank you. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next episode as we examine the first part of the September 17, 2021 pretrial hearing regarding the admission of two critical pieces of evidence that could be damaging to the defense. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. This episode was written by Amalia Mathewson. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik. It was edited by Leo Alves. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and trial audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs>